this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 197. We're recording on Friday, February 17th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, hey, hey. Here we are. Um, I was going to say something. Oh, I, I realized when I was doing the read that we're only three away from 200, and we I said we're going to do an Ask Me Anything too. thing. So if you got questions, um, if we have enough to do a whole episode of AMA, great. If not, we'll just do a section of it. But uh, shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. You can ask us about the podcast, books, the site, whatever you want. We'll answer the ones that are appropriate. That's um, so many episodes. We'll have been doing this for like four years. years. right? Because, we, I mean, we've only missed – I mean, you and I have missed individual episodes from time to time. For yeah. The sick, whatever. But, like, the show goes on, generally speaking. Like, I don't even right. think last year we missed a week. There wasn't. There think, was ever a week we didn't miss one last week. Yeah, I don't think there was either. Maybe the first year of the show yeah, we took I think off we a week took or off two for Christmas and holidays. stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, but we had sponsors booked all the pre, all the mm-hmm. you know subsequent years, and we made shows, and we've gotten good at like in the holidays we do sort of marathon recordings yeah. of like on a Wednesday afternoon we record three episodes of best stuff. Right. Uh, so, and then we yeah. do the um, the recommendation show, which we kind of do around the normal stuff. And you know the book the book news trays keep the rolling. Yeah, they do. Um, there's always stuff going on. It is funny that like in 200 episodes of this, every week I still, I don't know if you do, but I know we've talked about it before. Every week I still ha- like on Wednesday have a feeling of like, are we going to have enough to make a show? <laughs> and there's I did always used to have that, a show. Yeah. I've sort of given, I mean, I've done it long enough now. And I, I did critical linking for so long that I like, right. there's always something. You can always find yeah. something to talk about. Um, uh, let, should we do our things, sponsor or let's do the, yeah. yeah okay. Tell the new thing saying, and then, yeah, we'll do sponsor. The new, yeah, saying, <laughs> speaking of things to talk about right. since, since we don't spend enough time podcasting know, together, right. um, we have both been wanting to reread thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman, which if you've listened to this show for a while, you've heard us talk about extensively. Uh, and because it's just a thing that we're both interested in. And also we like excuses to poke at new technology and new projects. So we have started a Shinsky O'Neill vanity project mm-hmm. basically. Um, that's a new podcast called Better Living Through Books. Um, and the first, possibly only, the installment of it is a limited run, 21-week, 21-episode series about thinking fast and slow. We're reading through it together. I'm talking about two chapters each week. Uh, the first one came out on Monday. This is not an official Book Riot joint, uh, but if you you know are into that, you want to read along with us or reread along with us or just revisit the ideas or get them for the first time, we'll drop a link here. Uh, it's on iTunes and there's an RSS feed that you can pull into your podcatcher of choice if you're not an Apple user. Uh, so you can come along with us. It's been fun so far. It has been fun so far. Um, let's see. Anything else to know? You can get it on all the major platforms. If you just search in iTunes for Better Living Through Books, you can find it there. Overcast uh, should be up on Stitcher and SoundCloud too. Bltb.fireside.fm. You can subscribe there. It's a, it's a it's just to reiterate. This is not a book riot joint yet. I mean, maybe at some point we could make it part of the show, but we don't have sponsors. 
um, whatever it's, this is a, we're using an off the shelf podcasting hosting service where we can upload and everything like that. So it looks a little bit different than Book Riot. Well, a lot different. It doesn't look anything like Book Riot, mm-hmm. really. Um, but you can, you can find it there. And we're going to do a bunch of episodes and see how it goes. We're looking for, we're having a good time. So episode one is out. Did you mention this? I was, yeah. Um, and then I guess episode two will come out. Mon- I don't know. We haven't talked about a regular was release it schedule. Yeah, I can't remember what day this week. Well, we had to it. upload it, it. We had to upload it and then submit it to iTunes and wait today. So the first one's always a little wonky yeah, um, yeah. in terms of the the timing. But we'll get onto a regular weekly schedule where you can expect it um, on a given day. So yeah, let us know what you think of it. You can email us here at podcastbookwrite.com or um, betterlivingthroughbooks at gmail.com. Uh, let's do our first sponsor and we'll get into the, the, yeah. the proper news mm-hmm. of the week. We've got Madison Reed back this week. Uh, if you're not familiar, Madison Reed is a new company that is completely changing the hair color industry to give you a better option, whether you color at home, at the salon, or at both. Uh, it's the first ever at-home hair color that gives you long-lasting gray coverage without a lot of the harsh ingredients that are found in other hair colors like ammonia or PPD. You'll notice the difference right away. There's no harsh chemical smell. Like If you've ever colored your hair at home, you know that like someone who walks in your front door knows that you've been coloring your hair for a couple of days afterward. It's just stinky. You'll have soft, shiny hair, really unbelievable shine. The color is rich. It's multi-tonal, so it looks natural. It doesn't look like you just made every strand on your head the exact same color. Looks so natural like that. The reviews for Madison Reed are full of happy clients that say that Madison Reed color is as good or better than what they get at the salon. And it's all for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. So you don't have to give up a whole day of your life to get your hair colored. They also also have what they call a love guarantee. If you're not completely loving your hair, the staff of licensed colorists will send you a new color kit on them. And if you're still not satisfied, they'll give you your money back. So it's no risk, all reward. Go to madison-reed.com to find your perfect shade. They have a cool shade finder tool that you can use to determine which one you should be using. And you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit when you use the code BOOKRIOT, all one word. So that's madison reed com and the offer code is book riot to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Okay. Um, I like this isn't follow up. It's just ongoing. I think that's funny that we yeah. put that in there. Um, <laughs> we've seen some stories about this of late and it seems like it's, there's a little bit of a snowball thing going on here mm-hmm. with this particular, does it, does that feel right to you? Is that what you're yeah, I think too? so. That's kind of what I was going for with ongoing. Like we just yeah. keep hearing about how this is a growing thing rather than it's uh, it, yeah growing snowballing rather than like a sequential steps of follow up thing right so anyway to to put an antecedent to this uh, topical pronoun that we're talking about it's um the the trend of <laughs> discontinuing or severely reducing library fines mm-hmm. um so this is a the piece in slate that's kind of a little bit of a history but also using the occasion of I guess um in Columbus Ohio. The library board announced in December that it would el- eliminate overdue fines starting on January 1st. Um, the move, I'm reading verbatim now. The move came yep. when the board realized that the fines not only weren't encouraging the timely return of materials. Um, little existing research on the topic suggests that small fees um, do not affect overdue rates, which I think is interesting. But the fines were actively working against the library's very reasons for existence. Uh, this is a quote from the system CEO. We shut off access to the library when one of our staunchest principles is trying to provide the widest access to materials that we can. We just felt fines ultimately were counter to the overall purpose and vision of our library. Instead of issuing daily fines, the library now blocks borrowing privilege for anyone with material more than 21 days late and charges replacement fees after 35 days that are refunded if the item is returned. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the the question I had when I first looked at this story is like, what is there a knock on effect of like people don't bring their stuff back? Like it, it doesn't sound like I feel like they need <clears throat> Richard Thaler to get involved in. We need some behavioral <laughs> economics around this, don't you think? Maybe we've been yeah. doing too much thinking fast and slow, which I which is definitely mm-hmm. true. But two things can be true at once. But the first one is, <clears throat> what is the best system? for right. getting people to return their library books. There's got it, it doesn't seem to be small overdue fees. What what would get them back? Will it be shutting off access? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like they're conducting an experiment with maybe not even realizing that that's what they're doing here that they realize that the use of library fees was counter to the purpose of a library's existence which is to make books and information accessible mm-hmm. to everyone most especially to people who could not afford other means of accessing them uh, so if you charge a bunch of late fees you just you know yeah. have people who can't pay the late fee and then can't use the thing so i like this idea of restricting your library access i do wonder about the replacement fee thing. Like I completely understand that a library that has a, like if you borrow a book from a library and you don't return it, they Mm -hmm. have to replace it. And I understand the passing of that expense onto the patron. But if you are, you know, like Joe Smith who needs his library and you borrowed a book and like your dog ate it or your kid destroyed it or something and you can't Mm -hmm. afford to pay the replacement fee, what happens then? Like, is there um, an appeal process Mm -hmm. where you can fill something out to have like financial assistance basically or relief so that you can continue to use the library? Like how, how does it how does it work? And I guess where's the line between? Yeah, there's got to be a hard floor somewhere, right? You know, I don't know where right. that hard or the, where you just can't take books and keep them with no, you know, right. that, that, that's a slippery soap argument because it's not even really there um, implicit in this. But the idea is, all right, so we're taking away what most people understand to be the stick in the in the mm-hmm. library system to get people to return their stuff, right? The the, the fee is like. Right. We all know this, like growing up. Like I, I got library fees when I was a little kid too. It was like a quarter a day or whatever, or a nickel a day. But I knew it was there, and like if you didn't get back on time, you had to pay a fee. Well, we check out a lot of books, and our lives are busy, and we got a bunch of kids. One of the things that does get us to get the books back is we don't want to get charged a late fee for these twenty-five, thirty things. Now, mm-hmm. maybe replacing the floor with we're going to owe eight bucks because we're two weeks late with you just can't check anything else out. You know, that's a pretty good replacement that doesn't punish people for not having the the scratch to pony up for it. I'm just using right. a bunch of money um, analogies now. <laughs> that, I think that's interesting. I think that's really yeah, interesting um, as a way of going about it. They say here that they expect to forfeit between 500000 and $600,000 in income that they get off library fees. But that only re- mm-hmm. represents – it represents less than 1% of its overall budget. I would also think there will be some savings in – you don't have to have a credit card reader there. You know, you don't have to. You have to process all these micro payments and keep track mm-hmm. of it. And so there could be some other savings that go into it. It says, in fact, fines rarely make up a meaningful source of income for a library system. That's the other way Michelle and I think about our late fees. Like, yeah, it's late, but it's like we're donating to the library. Right. You know, there's eight bucks that goes to the <laughs> local branch of the library. Right, and you know, there's sort of associated costs of enforcing the fees also like you're talking about credit card processing mm-hmm. and that's absolutely a real thing like back when I was a delinquent library user oh that's right you were you were uh, off you were off the sauce for like 20 years you would have been saved by this <laughs> I was so back when I was off the library sauce that's a show title mm-hmm. um my 
library and it, like before the thing was so far gone that I was embarrassed to show my face at the library, my library sent a couple postcards saying like, here is the item that is late. Here's how much you owe us in late fees. Um, and so there's cost to, you know, design and to print those postcards. And then there's cost to like postal, postal code. I can't make words today. There's uh, postal fees, you know, to put stamps on those postcards and send them to people. And so like, right. if you're talking about, you know, they bring in half a million dollars a year for a library system, how much of that goes right back out the door to be spent enforcing the collection of the fines? Uh, it's, it's an interesting, yeah, interesting question. Interesting. I'm really glad to I'm glad to see this evolution of the discussion about like really what a library is intended to do and how can policy be brought in line mm -hmm. with that intention to best serve the community and to best serve the members of the community who most need the service. Yeah. Um, also, there's a in the little follow-up from another library that did something similar. They, uh, the High Plains Library District in northern Colorado a couple years ago decided to eliminate almost all their late fines. Hmm. Um, so let's see. The revenue from fines and fees dropped from 180000 to 95000 So half. So there's still some fines involved. I don't, I don't know. They have, a diff they have a higher hard floor, I guess, than what Columbus is doing. <laughs> but it got rid of its most expensive credit card machines and it stopped leasing a change counting machine that it needed to process the avalanche of dimes and quarters. Um, the overall financial impact has been neutral, but they did see circulation rose 16% within the hey, children's hey. department. So there was an uptick in usage. The other thing we know, too, about libraries is a lot of times, I don't think it's true for all libraries, but a lot of libraries have their funding pinned to circulation. So they might be getting some, they may making up some of that lost revenue in fines by having people borrow more books, which gets passed on to say, hey, people are borrowing books. Let's you know, let's um, get, we, we get some more mm -hmm. money then. So yeah. And there's too. a nice sentence in that same paragraph here where they say that they found that the fear that fines were the only thing between civilization and chaos was unfounded. Yes. Uh, and that 95% of materials are returned within a week of their due date. So this is a case of like, if you can, if you look at the data, you can discover that mm -hmm. this thing you think you need, like maybe we don't need a stick really. Yeah. Um, or at least not the kind of stick that we've had here because people are, honoring the social contract mm -hmm. and bringing back their stuff on time. Couple, I mean, a couple of confounding factors, though. I wonder if it's so baked in, the idea of a fine to library users, that even one, there could be some, you know, tale of behavior modification where oh, that's true. You, either, you think the fine, you're still so used to it. You're so acclimated to like, oh, my God, I got to get it back. That even if you know that it's been removed, you still might have, I think I would have that. Like, we got to get our library books back. Be interesting to see if over time as that, stick goes away if people still behave as if there is a kind of stick or if they are you know adhering to some other kind of social contract that mm -hmm. the fines were just sort of layered on top of but i do think it's interesting like you know i was thinking about you know we're again coming back to the thinking fast and slow you're gonna hear us talk about this a lot i'm so sorry um but and also <laughs> i'm not uh is that the, endow the endowment effect works in a whole bunch of different ways right where you you give more weight to what you already have or what you already do than it really warrants and it creates a lot of inertia to not change. And I think this is a really interesting sign of a big, I mean, libraries are big bureaucratic institutions that have to interface with the public and the government and their own, you know, their own staff and their own systems. Like there's a whole lot of just crap on a library system that they have to do to deal with. And to make a change like this requires all sorts of negotiations of that crap. So right. that like, so the, the endowment effect is especially heavy on organizations like this, where any kind of change just comes with so much ancillary cost 
that to to have to make a change like this, I think it, it's just it's admirable to do this. Like you get these, you know, sixteen percent. That's a good number. It's not like a doubling or something like that. And they're losing a little bit of revenue, but on the whole, it's going to be a positive change. But it takes so much energy for them to do that that I just think it's admirable that they have people thinking, okay, mm-hmm. do we have to do it this way just because this is how we have to do it? Right. And we have to experiment because they don't know. It could be that people kept all their stuff. I mean, that, that right. could have been a very, re- I mean, you know, you don't know, right? That maybe right. the High Plains Desert, they lost all their, they, they lost right. all their, um, they lost all their weeds DVDs because people were checking them out and keeping them. Because, you know, if you're checking out weeds, I'm not sure you're great about late fee on time stuff. But <laughs> I'm just saying that you don't know what's going to happen and they took a chance and it seems to have paid off. Uh-huh. Yeah, it does. And I think you're right. Like you do have to accept all the possible a- mm-hmm. outcomes of an experiment of like this. And one of them is we might take away late fees and find out that the late fees are the only thing that are keeping people yeah, from nicking all our graphic stuff. novels. You know, right. And like all that. of a sudden, right, like our books don't get returned and we're going to spend more time chasing down replacement fees and it's going to be terrible. And they were willing to take the risk, you know, probably on the belief that that sort of communal trust of um, and the social contract would be powerful enough uh, that people want to do the right thing. Like the stick is really guilt, right? Like, right. Uh, is the is it the fine that's the stick that's getting you to bring your stuff back? Maybe for some people it is, but I would maybe for other people or for more of the patrons, the real stick is like, I'm going to feel like a jerk if I keep my stuff past its due date because that's just, that's wrong. That's not the thing I agreed to as a library user. I'm I'm curious how they're going to deal with holds because this is something I deal with because I, you know, I put holds on stuff and then I, of course, I'm like everyone else who puts a hold on something and then takes it. That means there's probably someone else that's going to put a hold on it. So I have a, a pretty, usually a relatively narrow window, it seems to me, like a couple of weeks to have the thing. And then I get my little notification, say, hey, your thing is due because there's a hold on it and someone wants it. So are people going to, you know, and the thing that was getting me to take it back was if I don't give it back, I'm going to get a fine. Whereas now I'm like, you know, I'm going to keep it. You know, I'm going to keep it an extra, I, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that go into how we understand the social contract of libraries that are still there, but they don't have quite the same, I don't know, th- th- doesn't have the same teeth. Like, it's very much as, mm-hmm. I've agreed to give it back at this certain time. I guess if I don't give the hold back, maybe my other borrowing pri- privileges go away, and then I just sort of make a deal with myself. It's like, all right, I won't be able to borrow new stuff till I return this other right. one. So. Anyway, I'm sure um, librarians, they, they're good about writing us. Um, funny that you think, you know, that librarians were interested in disseminating information um, to us. Um, <laughs> but if you had experience with this or, you've, you know, you've, you, other things that we don't know about mm-hmm. what would go into how fines are a part of the library's life, um, be useful to find about that too. I wonder from the beginning yeah, of public libraries, were there, were there fines built in? I was just in? about to say, yeah. I would love some history of public library policy and if fines were baked in from the beginning on the assumption that that was what it would take to get people to return things or if they evolved because things weren't getting returned or what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting um, to, to look at there. Okay, um, let's move on All down right. the road. What's up next? Well, in continuing follow-up, mm. sadly ongoing stories, the book that shall not be named uh, is being delayed. It was supposed to come out, I think, March 18th, mm-hmm. uh, but it is being delayed until June so that the author supposedly can include details of the controversy yeah, of surrounding his sure. book deal and the student protest that resulted in speak and canceled speaking events. And so like the book is about, you know, supposedly about free speech. Uh, and I'm sure that these are, I have no generosity no. for this person at all. So no. No. let's just be honest, but I would, you know, these are going to be chapters about how he was attacked. Sure. Uh, his free speech terrible. was, 
His yeah. First Amendment rights were limited, which is not what happens when someone protests you. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to be out on March 14th, not 18th. I was wrong. But now they're saying it's set to appear on June 13th. Uh, can we just keep protesting can and we, can, just so it never comes out? Like he always has another chapter of like his victimization I, you know, of how I'm, everyone's being censored. Like, <laughs> should we just do this forever? Right. The like the hope, I think when this story first was released, one of the Book Riot contributors who dropped it onto our back channel was like, here we go. Like they're just going to begin the perpetual delaying of this thing because Simon and Schuster doesn't want to come out and say that they're not going to publish this mm. book. And I wish that I thought that were the case. Like I wish that I thought that Simon and Schuster had decided we're not going to publish this book uh, and we're just going to let this author drag it out forever. We're just going to keep on delaying, but we're also not willing to like make a statement of removing it because we're weenies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that's the case. Like they have doubled down enough times in enough clunky mm-hmm. ways, um, showing what also appears to be a misunderstanding of what's free speech is uh, that I think this is probably real, that he has an extension so that he can add this content that his publisher has said, like, yes, that's adding the content to this book that shouldn't exist in the first yeah. place. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, anything else to say about this except boo. I hope it never comes out. <laughs> I know. This guy deserves no, no, no uh, generous reading. Even someone yeah. like me who is interested in sometimes trying to purvey, even, even for the sake of thinking, um, a generous reading. I got nothing here. And it, it's not censorship to yeah. say we think this is crappy, that he's a, a jerk, uh, and that Simon Schuster should be embarrassed to publish it. Like if he wants to go print it out on a mimeograph and distribute it on the street corner, um, he's certainly willing to do that. I would make no argument that say he should be thrown in jail or something for that, unless it you know is libel or slander or dangerous um, in the ways that are exist on the law. But that the idea that you can call. Um, any calls for Simon Schuster withdraw their support for the book uh, censorship, uh, I think is obtuse at best and um, dissembling at worst. So, well, we and yeah, if you're writing a book about free speech and you don't understand that people protesting your book is mm-hmm. not a limit of your own free speech, or that your yeah. publisher deciding that you that they don't want to be in business with you or not giving you a platform or a bookseller deciding that they don't want to sell your book is not the first amendment is like those are not protected rights no. in, in the first amendment then you don't need to be writing a book about free speech right and you, you know the, the marketplace of ideas metaphor is a marketplace for a reason it's about people deciding right. how and what to spend both the real and intellectual capital on um and you know the book's going to sell because there's enough jerks out there that want to read it you know that's just true you know there's mm-hmm. enough there's enough uh, a-holes out there that want to read this book and think this guy's great and whatever and political correctness is the thing that's causing all of our trouble, whatever, wah, wah, cry into your coffee. Um, the book's going to sell. Simon Schuster's going to make a little profit off it and, you know, the guy's going to get a platform and whatever. You know, it's a bummer. It's a huge bummer and I'm really upset about it. Um, but I'm also not, I don't, I can't, I can't muster any any defense. Of yeah, like, it's a, I, yeah, there's, it's kind of a true colors moment. You know, like, uh, Publishers Weekly allowed his agent to write a defense of mm-hmm. him this week as if a person's agent does not have a vested interest in getting their was book weird. published. I thought that was strange. <laughs> I thought that was strange. I have to admit. And, uh, I will say, I mean, both sides, whatever, you know, both sides, false equivalents. But the week before, they had the editor for FSG Children's Books, I think, wrote a, a pretty full-throated excoriation of the publishing. Mm-hmm. So Publishers Weekly gave time to both sides. I think this is one of the situations like – 
you know, you don't need yeah. to get both sides for it, especially if it's the guy's agent. Well, come on. Yeah, right. That's the like, sure, if you want to make, if you want to do the both sides thing, but somebody's agent who clearly yeah. has an interest. Yeah, I don't know if I say this on the show, like if someone would just say from SNS or aside, you know what? We're in the book selling business. This book is going to sell. We're going to sell it. We're, it's our legal yeah. right to do it. I, I don't. I wouldn't love that that's, that explanation, but it would it would be honest to me. It would feel like what, that would. I, I could at least respect that position as right. opposed to this mealy mouth. Well, it's if you don't want to buy it and you're and you're talking bad about us and you're saying people shouldn't buy this book or Simon Schuster shouldn't release it. You're 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 violating our free speech. Just get get out of town, man. Just get out of town with that garbage. You know, you want to make some money. He wants to write a book. Simon Schuster wants to make money off it. Okay, I get that. That's within the law. But I don't have to like it. We don't have to like it. Right. Let's just all acknowledge that that's yeah. the thing that's going on here. Not yeah. that they're like supporting some grand yeah, mission right. of yeah, the ben, free exchange of ideas. Ben Franklin is not going to get out of his grave if Simon Schuster pulls the book. He's not going to come say, you know what, guys, this is not what we meant. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to happen. We're going to be all right. Um, anyway, that's enough about that garbage. Uh, <laughs> bookstore sales. Hey, hey, on the um, rise. Uh, we're up 2.5% in 2016, um, according to preliminary estimates estimates released Wednesday by the U.S. Census Bureau, who, for reasons I still don't quite understand, is in the business of tracking bookstore sales. Um, store revenue reached to almost $12 billion last year, um, up about $300 million. Increase marks the second consecutive year that bookstore sales have increased after seven years of decline. Um, despite 3.1% bookstore sales drop in December year over year, which is interesting. That's something we heard that December was pretty quiet. I don't know if mm-hmm. the election and people were just like super bummed or they had bought all their books before. Uh, the improvement also occurred in a book environment that, with the exception of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, had no real huge hits. Can I just say something about that? <laughs> Harry Potter and the Cursed Child sold 5 million copies. <laughs> I, I, why, why do we say why does that get apparent you know a positive that says with the exception of the biggest book of, I think it seems, seems weird to you right it seems, it's like nothing really big happened last year except Trump got elected I mean that's a weird caveat I mean it's a weird caveat anyway I thought that was odd um, sales for the entire retail segment increased 3.2% in 2016 with a 4.6 sales gain in December so it actually lagged the overall retail environment so I don't know if, you, that, if that deflates the, the book selling balloon um, mm. That lagged retail in general, um, and and really it was down seven percent compared to the larger retail segment in December. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what we take from that. I guess it, it it jives a little bit with is it jives or jibes? I I mixed that one. Right, I think it'd be both and neither at the same time. With our I think mm-hmm. our sense that books book selling is all right. You know, plugging along. Yeah, and and these are bookseller bookstore now. Numbers, not total book sales numbers. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually like know where, where did they get this. They they pull people. Is this like the book scan thing where it's or the New York Times books are like they? Do, yeah. Am, a, I guess I'm saying then, is the big question is is Amazon giving them some spreadsheets? Doesn't seem right. Like yeah, that. I don't. Well, Amazon has bookstores now. That's what I'm but, saying. Yeah. Oh, did I tell you I went to one? Oh no. Yeah, um, there's a mall on the west side of Portland that we were going to because Michelle was taking stuff back to the shop that she bought. It doesn't matter. I ended up at this mall. Um, and there was – I didn't even think about it, but we're like – it was right across this, the, the – the, what, what do you call it? The aisle? The, the, the way? Across the way in the mall, right, because okay. that sounds – and it was just right there. So I walked <laughs> into it, and I got to say uh, it was a nothing burger. Like it was – I mean it was okay, but it was like – I don't know. It it was weird. Well, that's yeah. When a 
when our contributor Peter Damien went to the yeah. like the first one that was opened in Portland, that's kind of what he said about it too. Or was it Seattle? It's Seattle. Oh Never yeah, mind. he went to the one but in Seattle. Still. Yeah, that was the first one he went to and wrote about it for the site. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. a, like it's a bookstore. This is our like this I, is a bookstore. Yeah, I concur with I can I concur with I concree. That's I concur and agree concree. at the same time. I concree. That's nice. Um with his Today nothing burger diagnosis um show title. Um it, you know, there were books there. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what to say. There was there was a shelf talker for almost every single one, but the shelf talker was like a randomly pulled review and from the Amazon? aggregate star rating from Amazon. I was like, okay, great. I, I don't know. Well, I- it was nice to have a big bookstore in the mall, way. though. I mean, it you know, it's a yeah. it's a big space. There's lots of books out. The covers are turned out for most of them, which was cool. But beyond that, there were people there. Um, this was this is the kind of the highest end mall in the in the area, as far as I know. I don't know that the city all that well yet, still, because I don't go out and talk to people or do things. Um, but it, it's kind of a high end mall, and there were people in there. They looked like they were buying stuff. I think it's weird because you walk right in, and there's a sign that kind of explains the pricing, which is always weird. Like if it's a prime, mm-hmm. you get this price, and if it's not, you get this, and this other thing. It's like that. That's you know, don't do that. That, that seems dumb. Um, that that part was a turnoff from the beginning. Like our. I think we talked about it a while ago that we think one of the reasons for these things to be is to get people to sign up for Prime so they can get the discounted price yeah. and the blah, 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 and the whatever. Um, anyway, but so, yeah, I, that's a long way of saying that they now have, what, a half dozen, maybe more of these stores now. And by the end of the year, there's another half. We, we're, we've even stopped including these announcements in the show notes, I should say. Right, because right? it's like, well, there's, yeah. there's going to be one more. There's going to be one in Boston, one in San Francisco, and, you know, th- it's just to the point where these things are popping up all over the place. Um, and I think it's a wait and see period for how mm-hmm. much effect they're going to have. But, you know, it wasn't one of those deals. Like I walked in, I was like, yeah, Amazon's really, they're really trying. So this is going to distract. It's like, yeah, oh, it's books it's, on shelves with prices. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Interesting. Yeah. And I still do think that one of the reasons these stores exist is to get people to sign up for prime. But I've been thinking about that and also thinking about how I don't think Amazon, this is tangential, but yeah. I feel like talking about it, sure. um, how I don't think Amazon does a very good job of actually informing Prime members about all of the benefits of Prime, no. which perhaps is intentional because they don't want you to take it. Maybe they don't want you to take advantage of all of those benefits and end up costing them money. But if you happen to be a Prime member, like I think I mentioned this on all the books. And so it's just worth mentioning if you've already, if this is the thing you've already done and you're reading consumption, life is join Amazon prime. There are 50 free titles that you can listen to in audible. If you go into your audible app and hit channels, there's like an included with prime one that they rotate those titles, but there's good stuff. It's like good front list stuff. Um, H is for Hawk is is one of them. I listened to that again recently. Um, and also you can get six months of free digital unlimited access to the Washington Post if mm-hmm. you've been wanting a, another new uh, news source. So not a commercial for Prime, but I caved a couple years ago because of the TV options. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sad that I can listen to more audiobooks. Yeah. Um, actually, we were talking about bundling and Shelfly last week, and I got some follow-up email from people mm. both about Shelfly and also about the – we talked about the, the some of the bundling pricing that Amazon and, and, and or Audible was doing where if you bought an ebook, you could get – you know they'll prompt you immediately say, if you want the Audible book, here it is for five mm-hmm. bucks or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. So a couple, couple of takeaways from that. One is – most people didn't try Shelfie in among our listenerships, and though the 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 very few that did tried it once, kind of like your story of like I took a picture of my shelf and I was like, yeah, there's nothing here, and I'm out. Um, so you know, I guess that goes into our column of our 
uh, a triage or a post-mortem of, of Shelfie, which was <laughs> not enough people knew about it. And the ones that did mm-hmm. didn't find it very useful. And that is, that's kind of a bad combo right there. Yeah. Um, even if they did, it wouldn't work. And the second thing is a lot of people say they are increasingly doing the, I guess, the upsell or the add-on purchase of a discounted Audible book when they buy a paper book or an ebook or something like that. But hmm. related to Kindle Unlimited, they said that sometimes the ones that are free in Kindle Unlimited, like the ebooks especially, will also then be heavily discounted as an audiobook. So oh, if, interesting. if it's one of the, you know, I think 50 or so that are in the rotating library, um, if you go check out the Audible price for those as a Kindle Unlimited user, you can get a, a cheap version of the audiobook there. So now audiobook sales, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog in my throat, are becoming like airline tickets where no matter what price you pay, you feel like you got rogered. That's where I am with audiobook pricing. <laughs> I don't yeah. care if I, unless I paid ninety nine cents for it. I feel like yeah, should I paid that much for it? Like, I, it could have, should I have waited? Is there some other way of doing it? Am I on the right yeah. Audible account? Like that, that's where I am with this. Yeah, we've been doing that in in our house too because Bob recently jumped on the audiobook mm-hmm. bandwagon. So there's been a lot of like, okay, I've gotten two credits a month forever, but now he wants to pick out a book every month. And so am I giving him one of my credits? Are we trying to pick a book that we both want to listen mm-hmm. to? I, Am I going into the backlist of stuff that I bought but haven't listened to yet? Should we just upgrade to get three credits mm-hmm. a month that I like can't get myself over the hump to pay for that? Hey, my tip for you there is um, when you use your last um, extant credit, they will often prompt if you look at the top when you're logged into Audible, buy three extra yeah. credits. Just do that on an just ad hoc basis. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you hit to zero, just add three more. You know, right, life's but too it's short. Like a, I've been, Right, looking at all those options and mm-hmm. then being like, but I just feel like I'm getting Roger no oh, yeah, matter what. Hey, you are. Or maybe <laughs> yeah. you're not. I don't know. <laughs> but my, it feels like it. Like, my that's default really position a is if I feel is like, they're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if they're not Rogering us, but we feel like we are, then something's wrong there too. Yeah, then you're still kind of getting Rogered. Right. right? Getting mind Rogered. You have to have the... <laughs> All right, we got to move on. That's going to break me. (laughs) In happy, cool news, there are uh, theaters across the U.S. that are offering free screenings, 14 cities, um, that are going to offer free screenings on, oh, crap, this is February 18th. So it's tomorrow when we're recording, but it will be over. We can still give them an attaboy. It's okay. Okay, so attaboy for 14, uh, for AMC theaters in 14 cities that are offering free screenings of hidden figures Mm -hmm. uh, for Black History Month. That's Um, very cool. um, In addition... Yeah. In addition to the free screenings, oh, this is relevant still, school and community groups and nonprofits can apply for additional special screenings Mm. to be held in their town. And the deadline to apply Apply for that is February 28th. The winners will be announced in March uh, of in March of this year. Um, so the statement from 21st Century Fox, which produced Hidden Figures, says, as we celebrate Black History Month and look ahead to Women's History Month in March, this story of empowerment and perseverance is more relevant than ever. We at 21st Century Fox were inspired by the grassroots movement to bring this film to audiences that wouldn't otherwise be able to see it, Hmm. audiences that might include future innovators and barrier breakers, and we wanted to support and extend that movement. Um, So huge attaboy, I think, for that. Um, I read the book and saw the movie recently, Amanda, and I went on a little date to see it. And that was the thing that we were talking about, that this movie lays out in a very, in a real and lived experience of people in a real real story that you can see way the concept of the truth in that the world is better, that like diversity is not just good for it's not just the right thing, but that it's good for business, that uh, when you 
access 100% of the talent that's available to you, 100% of the Mm. intelligence in the world. You solve problems and you can do more things better and faster than if you limit them. And uh, this, this is a story about the things that NASA would not have achieved or at least wouldn't have achieved them as soon uh, if they had closed the, do- the doors to black women uh, and seeing what they were able to do and able to innovate is really incredible. So I'm super excited to see uh, that the movie producers and these theaters are behind the idea of showing this movie to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to see it and uh, sort of, you know, furthering that message mm-hmm. along. Presumably if you're a library, you would qualify to be eligible to apply. So <clears throat> that, I mean, that would oh, make sense. Yeah. It doesn't say, it says community and nonprofit organizations. I, I, I'd assume that yeah. if you're a library, if you're a librarian out there and you would be interested in hosting one of these on February 28th, um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the story, or you can probably just Google it and find it um, there. All right. So another story, uh, excuse me, another sponsor before we, you know, kind of wrap up the week. Suddenly we're, you know, a couple mini rants and we burn through the time. <laughs> um, the, the, the show is sponsored this week also by a new book called The Girl Who Lied by Sue Fortin. Um, so here's here's the story. So Aaron and Rosine, I think that's how you say it. it's R O I S I N Rosine Rosin Roizen Roizen. I'll go with Roizen. I like that. Aaron and Roizen were once friends until a fatal accident ruined both of their lives. Now Roizen has discovered a secret, one Aaron has kept for over a decade, and she's determined to make Aaron pay for her lies. When Roizen suddenly disappears, suspicion soon lands on Aaron, and she would do anything to protect her family. But just how far is she willing to go? When time is running out, it's a you know it's a page turner. You want to find out who did what to whom and what's going to happen. It's available now. That's the girl who lied by Sue Fortin. You can find it wherever books are sold. I also saw this is not in the this is not in the read, but I was doing um, book riot deals this morning. I think you can get it for a dollar ninety nine on Kindle right now. So if you go oh, nice. go check, you might be able to pick it up for a dollar ninety nine. So go do that. Um, and then it's you know ten bucks for the paperback or however things are priced. Who knows anymore? Um, but that's the girl who lied by Sue Fortin. Thanks so much for them to sponsoring the show. Hmm. Let's see. Let's do new. You know, a couple big new book announcements. Yeah, yeah. The last couple of days, one breaking this morning. Um, the one that broke this morning is Neil Gaiman announced that he is working on a. Is it a sequel? Yeah, I guess it is a sequel to his. One of his big books, Neverwhere, and it's one of the ones I've read, actually, Neverwhere, as funny as that is. I'm not a huge game and reader, but that's one of the ones that I read. And I really like this one, actually, um, I should say as well. I've liked everything I've read by his, um, by him, by his, by his hand, I guess, if I'm going to do it that way, um, typed by him. <laughs> I like all the things one. typed by him, by him. All of his, <laughs> all of his keywords um, have been uh, appreciated by him. my eye face. Um, so it's called The Seven Sisters, and it is a sequel to Neverwhere. Um, so this 20 years ago is when Neverwhere wow, was published. Was um, and he's, I guess there has been hints and rumors and, um, elves have song sung about game and maybe writing the sequel, but he says he's actually in the full writing mode of it. And interesting. I thought this part was interesting. A little flavoring backstory is that he said he was especially interested or he got, got remotivated with his work with the UN refugee agency, um, said that. Neverwhere gave him the chance to talk with the homeless and other people who fell through society's cracks. But then something about refugees is going to be about the Seven Sisters. So he's taking this fantasy world allegory and using some of his own new experience and education to write it into this sequel, which I think is is interesting to see to see there. Neverwhere, if you haven't read it, I guess that it's kind of like um, the closest pop culture analogy that you know, maybe people have seen is there's the upside down in Stranger Things. Um, mm-hmm. No spoilers here, except that there's like. 
a parallel universe happening alongside of ours. In Neverwhere, there's also one. It's much more. It's in Stranger Things. It's kind of a you know blank nightmare hellscape, whereas this is a inverted fantasy world of London. Especially, I don't know in the book. I'm not sure if it extends beyond London, but there's this alternate London that happens alongside, under, around, between the actual London. Um, and that's what the notes Neverwhere is called. That it's a good title for that. I have to say as well. And that there's a lot of mythology built in. And I, th- I mean, I was expecting when I first read it to be one of these things where I accidentally violated O'Neill's razor. It's like because there's oh. the world is so big. I was like, there's a million stories that could be told, but it was a standalone. Um, so I'm kind of glad to see that there's another one. I will definitely be checking this out when it comes along. Um, so anyway, that's big news for you gaming fans out there. And, I, and you know, that's going to be a big book. It's going to be a big book. Um, you yeah, the, the other one? big one was yeah. yeah earlier this week that 17 years after the completion of the original trilogy, Philip Pullman is going to release another series to follow up his Dark Materials. Mm. Uh, so the series began in 1995, which uh, in the UK was called Northern Lights, but it was referred to as the Golden Compass in America. So that's is, the still I still get confused about uh, this. Yeah. With. And none of them are called his Dark that's... Materials, but the whole trilogy is called anyway. Get, get, get. <laughs> yeah, and so the new one is uh, the Book of Dust, and it will return to Lyra's world and be a true companion to his Dark Materials. Uh, Pullman is going to explore story points that parallel the story of the first. Tr- trilogy and also focus on two new periods in her life when she has a baby before she found her way to Oxford and 20 years after the events of the Amber Spyglass. So a good reason to go and reread the, mm. his Dark Materials trilogy, it sounds like to me, if that's a thing that you have been into. Uh, the original report in The Guardian also says that the new series will include characters that are familiar to existing readers as well as other Pullman creations, including Alethiometers. I haven't read this series. Mm. I've only read the first one and it's been a long time. Um is, do they say it demons or demons? I the think animals that you are... can do both. You, you know, okay. both ways. Yeah, yeah. And some other, some other stuff. stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, the, so the world building stuff is going to be in it. You know, okay. Yeah, Not Philip Pullman fans get excited. There is a new series for you built on his dark materials. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I read this one too. This one of my favorite beach reading memories is I got a really cheap. Uh, I, I used paperback of all three of the the dark materials and um, sat on the beach for two days and read them all um, one mm. time. And it was, you know, the book was part of the experience, though I won't say it made it for sure. It's probably the uh, unlimited drinks too didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Um, it's weird. It's I haven't heard of one quite like this because it's not it's not kind of the alternate telling, a la you know that Fifty Shades of Grey thing, a different perspective. Right. It's not. It's not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It's it's not happening and at the same time. Like, it's kind of all of them, right? It's like yeah, it's, it's interesting like how it's going to play out. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about um, the Mad Adam series and uh, the way Margaret Atwood does that, where the books are each kind of a meanwhile for each other. Like all three occur <laughs> at the same time, and you're just seeing the world in three different ways. And it right, it sounds like it's a little of this, a little of that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those book announcements where every year there's a couple book announcements that bubble up to just like normal people. Uh, And so I, I hear from, you know, friends who are casual readers who are like, did you see? Yeah. Yeah, Book world muggles. Uh, (laughs) That's a good show title. Um, that like, they're like, did you see there's a new Philip Pullman series? It's kind of like the Harper Lee Mm -hmm. announcement, you know, like people who are just casually interested in books are paying attention to an announcement like that because his dark materials is so popular and there have been movies. Um, and so it's interesting to see the response. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's been a handful of these, right. Since we've been doing the site, probably, um, yeah, 
the Harper Lee, Ghost Out of Watchmen, definitely. I think that's the biggest one by far. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't think of any. Even the Cursed Child stuff, since it wasn't another novel and there was a play first and all that stuff. That, but that right. also, you know, that made it. This one did. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can remember where it really made it into the world of like regular, you know, news. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think about that. Too. To think about it a little bit. All right. So the big things. I mean, there's no dates on these either. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. Oh, the first one, October of this Is there? year. Oh, yeah, it's right hey, at the top. We skipped up. down and we were trying to figure out the details. But the first one um, is going to come October. So that's soon. That's, that's sooner than I would have thought. The Gaiman one, I don't think I said is we don't know. He said, yes, I'm sure. I'm for sure working on it, like mm-hmm. officially working on it. But we have no idea when it's going to come out. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of reading his dark materials, our friends at Goodreads have finally, yeah, like at long nice last. segue. Uh, well in, done. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. Sometimes I earn my paycheck yeah, here. That was very nice. Uh, the good folks at Goodreads have finally released a rereading feature so that if you are reading a book that you have already read and is already recorded in your Goodreads catalog, you have a new way to note that. So like for your stats in a given year, you don't miss out on including the book uh, that you have reread or having it count for your reading challenge or anything else. So we'll drop a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. They have a blog post about it. I know among the Goodreads or among the Bookwright contributors that are active Goodreads fans that this is a thing that they've wanted for a really long time. Uh, I know from friends at Goodreads that it's been in development for quite a long time. They really wanted to get it right. Uh, so you can, if you haven't, if you're a Goodreads user and you have not seen that already, you can go poke around in your Goodreads app, and the next time you reread a book, you have a way to make it count. That that's you know. I, again, you neither you nor I are are heavy or even at all <laughs> good Goodreads users. <laughs> um, but that's speaking of things that um, that bubbled up to Goodreads muggles. You know, for those of us who don't use yeah. Goodreads, we had heard there's no rereading option, blah blah blah. And I, I, you know, a small point, but for those of you who like to ch- you know keep track of and also you know t- use it as a social network where you tell other people that you're reading a book, but it's not the first time. You know, it's it's a useful function. I'm I'm so surprised it took so long. Like I, anyway, I don't know anything about software development, but this one doesn't seem to me to be like a radical overhaul. Um, but there right. it is. It's yep. like it's like Twitter adding edit, right? Edit function. Right. Like it's, it's like does it is it that hard? But I guess it must be. Or there's reasons to do it. Um, I've actually come around on the edit thing. I think you just leave it there and mm. historical record stuff in our political moment, especially. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you leave it. You just leave it there. And if I have to, you know, live with that I misspelled someone's name or I got the wrong it's, so be it. Um, anyway, that's uh, yeah. In brief a way, aside. that's a great. That's tangential, but I think yeah. it's kind of a great equalizer that mm-hmm. we're all when we're all when we're unedited, we all make mistakes sometimes. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, if we could just accept that, it's fine. Right. And if you're laboring uh, over your tweets and you get them exactly right and you send them off to copy and back, you know, good for you. Good for you. Um, right. Last thing, real quick, okay. um, Powell's. Yes. In the un- this is also, I guess, is turned into a sub-interest uh, of our sub-interests, a niche within a niche of our interest is subscription services. Mm-hmm. You know, we're interested in seeing them work and what people are trying to do. Um, also, what you name stuff, because all the book stuff is taken. <laughs> so Pals is launching a picture book subscription service. I think that's a great idea. There's some other ones out there, but I don't think anyone with Pals Reach and Platform and Retail Chops has, has quite tried to do it this way. It's called Books, B-O-O-X. Okay, fair, you know whatever, for a name, um, delivers a thoughtfully curated box. 
Uh, does anyone deliver unthoughtfully? You know, like we curate it, but we just don't think about. It. You know, we we just threw we some just shit throw in stuff in. I think I feel like curated <laughs> implies thoughtfully, but anyway, that's a, speaking of copying. Um, uh, that's one. <laughs> I think you, if it says curated, we're going to imply that someone thought about. It. Anyway, write to your doorstep every. That's another thing. Write to your doorstep or write to your email. We know. We know we don't have to go pick it up from our aunt's house. You know, you're going to bring it to us. Um, each box features one new hardcover picture book and an additional hardcover staff favorite, along with other exciting goodies. Our kids' team has sought out the best new picture books with diverse characters, inventive storylines, exquisite illustrations, and charming prose for you to treasure for year to come. For years to come, uh, it's $35.95 per shipment and includes shipping within the U.S., people outside the U.S., 12 bucks. That's per. pretty good for getting two yep. picture books. Interesting. Plus some really other stuff. interesting to see. Um, the first one ships March 8th, uh, is not quite Narwhal. Um, it's a Simon Schuster trade by Jesse Sima. It looks like a Narwhal that's also a unicorn, which just for my household is quite a hit because one of them likes Narwhals, the other one likes unicorns. I don't know. <laughs> I have to buy this book. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Powell's is your you know hometown bookstore. I know. So I have can... to go pick it up over there. Powell's for a long you don't time even have has to done. Go to like a secret undisclosed location. This is not their first foray into the world of subscription stuff. Um, they've been doing for a long time. The I think it's just called Indispensable. Powell's Indispensable or just Indispensable, where that one is you know bespoke editions of new literary fiction titles. Like it comes in a slipcase, a different it's a whole different packaging than we can buy off the shelf. Often they're signed. Sometimes they come up with you know, some ancillary stuff that goes in the package there, but that's been around a long time. And weirdly it seems like they've capped it. Like it's very hard to get on the list for the subscription for whatever reason. Like I don't know if their deals with their pub- with publishers cap it at fifteen hundred or whatever it is right now. Um but also interesting that they, you know, they have some experience doing this. These don't appear to be, you know, unique additions um, for pals. These are what you can buy. But um, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. With kids' books, I think especially, you know, I'm not reading a bunch of kids' books. I can't recommend them to my own kids, let alone anybody else. So people who live in the kids' books area, and there's a thing where we want to buy books for kids, um, especially those of us who care about books and kids, um, if we can afford it. We like to give kids books. As, I think this would be a great present. You know, if you buy year one, yeah. year oh, subscription yeah. to someone. This is really a good, good like, baby gift. Oh, terrific. Terrific yeah. baby gift. So that's good job, it. pals. Good job, pals. Pals.com slash books. B-O-O-X. Um, that's not an ad, though. Maybe they'll pay us to talk about it in the future. Okay. That our that's show. our show. That's our show. All right. So um, thanks to our sponsors, The Girl Who Lied. You can go pick that up now. Madison Reed. Madison Dash Reed. R-E-E-D.com. Also, go check out Better Living Through Books, bltb.fireside.fm. That also will be in the show notes. You can, you know, follow along with over there. You know, we haven't decided. We, we didn't cuss yet in that. Are we going to cuss in that one? Oh, uh, or as you I like don't to know. call it swear? Hmm? As you like to call it swearing? Swearing, cussing. Do you, do you call it cussing or swearing? I don't call it cussing. You don't call it cussing. That must be one of those things like soda and pop, right? Like it's regional. It's one of those things that like I just do and don't talk about. Oh, right. Like breathing. (laughs) Right. It's like a comma. Um, I punctuate. (laughs) The judgment is silent. Um, So, yeah, I I grew up with cuss, but you you and I didn't grow up that far from each other, so that that might be interesting. Yeah, I Did you say pop or coke? Pop or coke? uh, I say soda. Soda? You know, oh, that's St. Louis. That's right. I think it's, I knew that about yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, I think yeah. that, like, yeah, right. Cause, Flat uh, pizza and you say right. soda. Yeah, yeah. The Bob rubbed off of me. I say soda. I did grow up with cuss, but I think I transitioned it to swear at some point. I don't really know why. And the three big, the three big um, ones are cuss, curse, cuss and curse and swear. 
Yeah, I don't say curse. Yeah, I grew up with the um, I heard. I read uh, oaths recently. Someone complained that we don't curse oh. on our shows, mm. swear, and and refer to it as minced oaths. <laughs> Well, we do that for the <laughs> iTunes rating and for sponsors. They, they don't want if we're dropping like, if we're dropping f bombs like you know. They can't I know, do that. but just from like the department of our lives are strange. It was like if you can't <laughs> say the f word, don't say anything at all. Foxing doesn't count. Okay, <laughs> and I was like, sure. okay. In the grand score keeping of what it does and doesn't count. Thank you for that. I, you know, I want to know informal <laughs> poll. If you want to email us, oh. tell us if you said curse, cuss, or swearing growing up, and and or if it's changed. And where you grew uh, up. I want to know uh, what you said growing up and where you grew up. We can do one of those New York Times infographic comments. I was just about to say, I wonder if this is on that thing. Yeah, um, it probably about is. It probably is. Okay, that, that's for real. That's our show. We got to get out of here. Okay. All right. Thanks, you guys, so much for <laughs> Have listening. Have a good Talk one.